Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. Hello and welcome to another long final edition of Squawk 7000. I'm Michael Cummin. On this episode, we are delighted to present you with one of the contributors to a recent Gasky Safety Evening. The General Aviation Safety Council of Ireland is a volunteer body composed of representatives from General Aviation in Ireland set up in 2012. They meet regularly, aiming to promote general aviation safety in the country. A large part of the Gasky function is to promote safety awareness amongst all those involved in Irish general aviation. This goal includes pilots and ground handlers at FBOs, aircraft engineers, air traffic controllers, airfield operators and government regulators. In this episode, we hear from the Air Accident Investigation Unit and one of their inspectors, Kate Fitzgerald. Here's the chairman of Gasky, Jerry Humphreys, to introduce Kate. Excellent. Well, as I say, welcome. I'm your host, Jerry Humphreys. For anyone who doesn't know me, the chairman of Gasky. And just in case anyone hasn't heard of Gasky or isn't aware, uh, we were formed in 2012 almost our 10th birthday coming up. And our aim is to promote safety in general aviation. And that's a good reminder, actually. General aviation includes quite a lot of, of flying, including everything from, I, in my book anyway, corporate aviation, business aviation, helicopters, you know, the commercial side of things, all the way through to uh, recreational flying, people flying microlights, or even flex wings out of their backyard. So it's a huge, huge area. So we have a website, gasky.ie. We have lots of facilities available to general aviation guys on there, our flyers on there. Okay, so tonight, without any further ado, I'm really pleased to uh, have along Kate Fitzgerald from the Air Accident Investigation Unit, who's gonna talk to us about some lessons learned from uh, recent accidents. Great. Um, so thanks, Jerry, and uh, thanks for inviting the AIU along to give a presentation tonight. As some of you may know, the AIU attend Gasky as observers, so it's, it's great to uh, meet some more of you, albeit in a virtual sense. My name is Kate Fitzgerald. As Jerry said, I'm one of the engineering inspectors at the Air Accident Investigation Unit. And I suppose just to give you a bit of background on myself, I'm uh, an aeronautical engineer by training. I spent many years uh, at Rolls-Royce in the UK working on the, the design, test and certification of jet engines of various shapes and sizes, some military and some civil, and then spent a number of years at Stobart Air as a technical services engineer before moving to the AAIU in 2017. Uh, so the plan for my presentation this evening is I'm gonna talk a little bit about the AAIU, what we do and, and why we do it. 
And then I'm going to talk a bit about a master's thesis that was completed by one of my colleagues, where he looked at the trends in general aviation safety in Ireland. And I'm just going to pull out, it was a, a very large piece of work, but I'm just going to pull out one or two of the highlights from that. And then in part three, I'm just going to talk through some recent occurrences. So the AAIU were responsible for carrying out no blame, no liability accident investigations in Ireland. We are functionally independent, but we are based in the Department of Transport in Leeson Lane in Dublin. And in those offices, we have the, the normal office facilities, but we also have a flight recorder lab for downloading flight recorders. We have a materials lab uh, and we have a small workroom. And then out in County Meath, in the army camp in Gormanston, we have a larger wreckage facility in a hangar out there. And this allows us to bring back wreckages and carry out a, a more detailed examination on them. We're quite a small team, really. Uh, we have nine inspectors, one chief, four pilots and four engineering inspectors and then an admin staff of three people. As you may know, we are we're on call 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. And when we're called out, we have three vehicles to support us, two of which uh, we call our immediate response vehicles. Um, and that's basically filled with everything we could possibly need on an accident site from scene lighting to fuel sample kits, to tools, to PPE, to torches everything that we, we might need to help us when we're out on site. The legislation that guides what we do and instructs what we do in Ireland is SI 460 of 2009, and that relates to EU regulation 996 of 2010. But both of those are, are really um, reflections of ICAO Annex 13, and that sets out the process by which many countries carry out no blame accident investigations. And what the legislation obliges us to do is to carry out investigations on any accidents and serious incidents that occur in Ireland, any accidents and serious incidents to Irish registered aircraft that occur in international waters. We get involved in accidents and serious incidents to state aircraft, but that's only when the relevant minister would request our help. Other state can delegate accident investigation to us if an Irish registered aircraft has an accident overseas uh, and the state involved doesn't have the capacity to do the investigation, they might ask us to carry it out. And lastly, whenever an Irish registered aircraft has an accident or a serious incident overseas, uh, we're able to join the investigation team as an accredited representative. And, and we do this all the time. That's a fairly bread and butter part of our job. We're, we're involved in many accident investigations that are being carried out by other states. Deployments in Ireland, uh, I'm probably going to talk mainly about today. When we're notified that there's been an accident, we decide the team that's going to go and carry out a pre-deployment briefing. And that's often informed by conversations with the emergency services who may well be on site at the time or indeed um, air traffic control. The emergency services immediate response obviously is to go in and preserve life and secure the site and we generally follow sometime later depending on where the site is in the country. We always travel in at least twos so we try to have at least one engineering and one oper operations inspector out on an accident site. Some of our accident sites are in quite awkward places and we have a memorandum of understanding with the Air Corps and they can assist us when we, we need to get to difficult to reach locations. Once we arrive on site, often we find that the journalists are, are there and they have an obvious interest, there's an obvious public interest whenever there's an air accident, but we're ob obliged to keep the investigation confidential. But we will sometimes just put out a statement saying that the accident has occurred 
and that we're investigating. So when we're on site and you're faced with an accident wreckage and you, you never really know what you're going to find when you turn up, but there's a general process that we always follow. First of all, you meet the emergency services because the fire chief who inevitably is already on site will have done a health and safety risk assessment and he will brief us on what's happened and what's been done to the, to the aircraft before we got there. And if there's not already a cordon in place, we'll put one in place just to preserve the evidence for a start, but also for health and safety reasons. We don't want members of the public coming close to a, an aircraft wreckage. Once we have the, that set up, we will carry out an initial risk assessment and gather any PPE that we might need. As you can imagine, the hazards that you can find on an accident site are varied. They could be everything from ballistic parachute to biological hazards to spilled fuel to live batteries to sharps, to livestock being in the same field as you when you're trying to work. And we've got to try and manage them all as we go about our work. We prioritise initially perishable evidence. So obviously things like ground markings and things that may degrade with time. We have to try and record that evidence as soon as we can, particularly if it's bad weather because the, the things degrade very quickly. And if sadly, as there is in some cases, there are any deceased persons in the accident, we'll liaise with the guardie. And, and then subsequently the coroner, because the, the inquest obviously has an interest in our accident investigation. One of the basic things we always do at the accident site is take a very uh, detailed photographic survey of the site and we'll identify and interview any witnesses to the accident. If we can, we'll try and establish the flight path that whilst we're on site, in some cases it's not possible and we have to go and look for ATC data, which, which we always do as well. And although it may sound like a very basic check to do, well, it's, it's a very useful check, is to make sure that you have all of the main parts of the aircraft on the site, you know, two wings, all the control surfaces, the right number of propeller blades, an engine, you know, all of those kind of basic checks, we'll do all those, as well as basic control continuity checks and things like that. If it's possible on site, we'll also take fuel samples and oil samples and any, any other kind of samples that we think we might need. And once we feel that we've done everything we can do on site, we remove the wreckage back to our hangar in Gormanston. So once we're in Gormanston, we've got a bit more time and space to, to do the more detailed work. We have a, a lot of space up there in the hangar and a lot of tooling so we can kind of do the detailed, the detailed stuff. And we'll often have the maintenance manuals and the parts catalogues for the aircraft by that stage, which allows us to, to do a bit more work. When necessary, we'll bring in specialist experts to help us. And as I said earlier, we'll, we'll often get samples tested. We'll go through all of the aircraft records that are available. When we bring the wreckage back to the hangar, often the recorders or the GPS might have gone in a different direction, either to our lease and lane office, or if it's significantly damaged, we might get a, a colleague in the UK to assist us in downloading the recorder. We'll try and put together a, a history of the flight, and this often involves getting radar data and tape, and again, looking for more witnesses and carrying out more detailed interviews with them. In every accident, MetAaron always provide us with an aftercast for the, uh, the location of the accident, and that obviously also feeds in to our analysis. And then we'll ask the pilot to provide any records that he might have of his license and experience. So our output at the end of the investigation is in the form of reports and safety recommendations. Where there's been a fatality or, a, or if it's a, a significantly large investigation, we can put out a preliminary report within a month of the accident. And that just outlines the basic facts as we know them at the time. We then, if the investigation is not finished within a year, we'll put out an interim report on the anniversary. And once the investigation is concluded, we will issue a draft final report to all of the interested parties. So the interested parties are people like the pilot, the operator, the aircraft manufacturer, the regulator, 
ICAO in the case of larger investigations. And they have 28 days to comment on the draft reports. We'll then review all their comments. And if, if it's appropriate, we'll include their comments in the final report before we issue the report onto our website. And included in the final report are any safety recommendations that, that we feel would benefit and strengthen safety in aviation. And these are they're generally directed to organisations or the regulator, and those recipients then have 90 days to respond to our safety recommendations. So part two, so an, an assessment of the general aviation safety in Ireland. So as I said at the start, a couple of years ago, my colleague John Owens, who's a, another inspector, carried out a master's thesis where he looked at trends in general aviation safety in Ireland. And the way he did this was he analysed every AIU report from 2006 to 2015. He identified that 127 of them were general aviation and he examined all of the 127 in detail. He also did an online survey of the Irish general aviation community, which was promoted by ILIS and uh, the Flying in Ireland and Gaspi websites. And then once he had the results of the survey and the report analysis, he carried out some structured and semi-structured interviews with general aviation pilots to examine what the reports and the survey were telling us. So what John found from his review was that the biggest category of occurrences in general aviation in that time period was loss of control in flight. And he also identified that it was the category that resulted in many fatal accidents with six of the 11 being loss of control in flight. So that's 55%. And that compares to a similar United States figure of 48%. And EASA also identified that loss of control in flight is a, a, a deadly cause of fatal accidents in general aviation. And then coming in second and third in the categories were abnormal runway contact and runway excursions. So then the, the thesis went into another layer of detail and looked at what the causes of the loss of control were. And what was found was that more than 50% were found to be pilot-induced control upsets. And again, other literature and, and the regulator had also identified this as a, a big issue for general aviation. But what you'll see from these quotes is there's a few themes that come out uh, and they are, you know, operating close to the dull regime, low airspeed, not being aware of airspeed and other distractions such as medical issues in flight or fuel starvation or engine issues. And these are all kind of themes that come out when you start to look at the events. So moving on to the abnormal runway contact and runway excursions. So there was 35 of, of these events. And though they, they appear to be you know, not as serious in that there, there were only two that involved injuries, one minor and one serious. 24 of them did result in the aircraft being substantially damaged and they, they certainly do have potential to be very serious. This quote here I thought was extremely pertinent for the, the times that we're living in at the moment. And this is from a man called John Farley, who was a Harrier test pilot in his book, A View from the Hover. Uh, and he says, being able to see what is happening at the end of an approach is a skill that comes and goes. It comes with a lot of experience and very good currency, and it goes away again, regardless of experience when you're out of practice. Uh, I thought that was very pertinent for the, the times we're living in just now, when it might be difficult to uh, to get out and practice and keep current. So just for the last part of my presentation, I wanted to talk through three recent occurrences that we've investigated in the AAIU. So the first event I want to talk to you about occurred in May 2018 and was a Cessna 208B Grand Caravan aircraft with two persons on board at the time of the accident. Um, and I, I'll say to, to begin with, this was a phenomenally complex investigation. So I really am just skimming the surface this evening. But the, the aircraft was involved in skydiving operations. Uh, it departed from Clombolog Airfield with 16 
skydivers, a pilot and a passenger on board. When they reached the drop zone, the skydivers exited the aircraft as planned and the aircraft started to make its way back to the airfield. During the journey back to the airfield, the, the pilot began a, a steeply banked left-hand turn. And during that turn, controlled flight was lost and the, the aircraft impacted terrain uh, in a wooded area nearby. And sadly, both of the occupants were, were fatally injured. And, and the accident site itself was a very challenging accident site because it was in the middle of a wood, as I said, but also the, the land was very boggy. So it was a, a very difficult scenario for the emergency services and the investigation team to, to work in. Because of the type of aircraft and operation it was, um, it wasn't required to have a flight data recorder. So unfortunately, we didn't have that type of data. However, the aircraft did have an aircraft data acquisition system. Uh, this was something that was designed and manufactured by the engine manufacturer. And although it wasn't crash survivable, it did survive this crash and we were able to download data from it. And some of that data is here in the graph. So this is a snapshot of the last minute of the flight. And prior to this, the aircraft had descended from about 12,000 feet down to about 2,000 feet at a rate of approximately 3,000 feet per minute. And when we get down here, this uh, sort of grey blue line is altitude. We get down to about 2,000 feet. We can see that there's a, a torque input on the engine. Uh, and we believe this was the pilot trying to arrest the descent. And then you'll see here that the, the engine is quite stable for a little while. And during this time, the aircraft begins a steeply banked descending left-hand turn. And during that turn, control of the aircraft was lost. The pilot then inputted another sharp and significant engine torque input and then quickly removed it. Uh, and what the investigation determined that that was likely because it was an attempt, an attempt at recovering control of the aircraft. Unfortunately, it was unsuccessful, so it was then removed. And I'll explain that in a bit more detail. And then during these final few seconds here, when the aircraft departed from controlled flight, the aircraft went into a, a near vertical attitude and impacted terrain shortly after. In addition to the, the ADAS data, we had CCTV data from a local wind farm. And although this was, it was only a very short snippet, a few seconds really showing the aircraft, and it was from a great distance. Our colleagues in the United States have a lot of expertise in looking at this kind of footage, and they were able to carry out a really detailed analysis of the video footage. And what they determined was that during those few seconds, the aircraft was steeply banked over. And when we were able to correlate that with other ev evidence, we were able to determine that it was likely that the aircraft was in a 130 degree left wing down bank bank turn. And then lastly, the, the skydivers that were on board the aircraft, some of them were wearing GoPro cameras. And although only one of the cameras actually showed the aircraft after the skydivers had exited it, there was some footage from inside the cabin, which was also useful to the investigation. When the investigation concluded, the investigation determined that the probable cause was impact with terrain following a loss of control in a steeply banked left hand turn. And the contributory factors which we believe contributed to that loss of control were the steeply banked nature of the turn being performed. It was, a, it was obviously, as we said, we believe about 130 degrees. It was an extremely fast maneuver. The, the data showed that the, uh, the aircraft entered the descending turn at probably at about 140 knots. And we believe that the input to propeller torque, we believe was a, a, an attempt to recover the aircraft, actually may have made things worse because of the propeller torque reaction. Uh, following the rapid and large increase in engine torque. And finally, all of this occurred at around about 2,000 feet above the ground, so there just wasn't sufficient height to affect a successful recovery from that. So moving on to the 
The second example that I'd like to talk about tonight, this occurred in August in 2018, and this was a Cessna 172. And I should say at this point, actually, all three of my examples are Cessnas, but that's no reflection on the Cessna aircraft. It's just sheer coincidence that the three that sort of fitted what we wanted to talk about tonight were, were all Cessnas. So in this case, the aircraft came into land at Cropwell Airfield. Uh, it landed fast and long. Uh, and the pilot became aware that he wasn't, go wasn't going to be able to bring the aircraft to a stop prior to this obstacle here, which was a, a, a dry stone wall. So he decided to go around, which, and he, he managed to clear the obstacle here, but couldn't gain height when he was traversing the field here, uh, lost lift and stalled, struck trees, and then the aircraft came to rest here. But th there were three passengers on board, and on one of them sustained some injuries. So when the investigation was looking at this, they had to determine why the aircraft struggled to climb away after the go around. And this is just a, a sort of a, an illustrative diagram. There's no scale on it, but it gives a good indication of, uh, of the issues that the aircraft was facing at the time. So the red curve there uh, shows the power available and the green curve there uh, shows the total drag on the aircraft. The, the yellow is induced drag, the blue is parasite drag and the, the green is the total of the two. So you can see here in this regime that there reaches a point where the airspeeds are low that the total drag is gonna be far bigger than the power available to the aircraft. Uh, and that's when uh, you can start to experience difficulties. In this case, um, the, the carb heat was on during the go around. So the power available was a little bit lower than it would normally be. And the aircraft managed to clear the wall uh, because at that point, the investigation believes that the, that the aircraft was still in ground effect so that the drag was lower. Uh, but once it came out of ground effect, the, the drag went up uh, significantly. The aircraft was also pitched up, obviously, because it was trying to climb away and it was trying to avoid obstacles, which also increased the drag. And a combination of these things meant the aircraft just couldn't, couldn't climb away as, as quickly as it would. And the airspeed reduced and lost lift and stalled. And so finally, the, the last example I just want to discuss tonight occurred in July last year in 2020. Again, another Cessna 172. And in this case, the pilot experienced a, an engine failure. Uh, had to carry out a forced landing. Now, I don't want to talk about the, the engine failure tonight. I'm just going to talk a bit about the um, what happened after that. So when the, the pilot brought the aircraft into land in the, the field that he'd selected, uh, he experienced a loss of airspeed leading to a stall and a left wing drop. The left wing contacted the ground first and the aircraft pivoted and the aircraft came down heavily. And the pilot and the passenger were both seriously injured. And as you can see in the photo, there was there was substantial damage to the aircraft. And actually, the other side of the aircraft was more badly damaged than the, the side that you can see in that photo. So a few weeks after the accident, two of my colleagues went back to the site and they took the AIU drone with them. They'd managed to download GPS data from the aircraft. So they had a good track of, of what the approach was. So they, they went and reflew the approach to see if we could learn anything from it. And what they noticed was that from the air, this is the way the field looked. And as you can see, it all looks... Uh, quite good, quite smooth. But when you get closer to the ground, the ground was very rough. And when the pilot was interviewed, he provided further evidence of, of this. And he said that he believed that when he got close to the ground, he delayed the landing to avoid the rough ground, which of course he was trying to gain altitude, which made him pitch up and reduced his airspeed. So he got over the rough ground. Uh, but then when he got further up the field, and I'll just nip back to this photo here, you can see there is a, a group of trees in the middle of the field that weren't very visible from, from higher up. 
Uh, so he had to turn to avoid that group of trees at a very late stage in the landing. And that obviously made matters worse in terms of airspeed and the aircraft stalled and came down very heavily. So just to finish up, I thought it'd be worth looking at how things look in 2021. Obviously John's thesis, my, my colleague John's thesis covered up until 2015. The examples we've just seen were 2018 and 2020. So I thought it'd be just interesting to see were the same trends still happening in 2021. And obviously it's been a very unusual couple of years uh, with the pandemic. What we've seen this year is that we've, we've had sort of 12 general aviation occurrences uh, reported to the AIU. And of those, eight involved the three occurrence categories that John highlighted in his thesis of abnormal runway contact, runway excursion, and loss of control in flight or a combination of those categories. So thank you very much. And uh, please feel free to ask any questions. Yeah, I must admit, uh, I, I, uh, I was very fortunate to meet John Farley on a few occasions. And I back up what you're saying there. His book, A View from the Hover, is absolutely wonderful. He was a real GA enthusiast. And there's an awful lot of wisdom in that book. Really, really was. Uh, he was a wonderful character, a lovely guy. And uh, that's a, it's a lasting treasure, that book of his. So uh, I recommend that to anybody. One yeah, please go ahead. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ed, who's that? One question very, very Brian. general. How does, uh, maybe this is a bit off topic, I, I was just wondering, how does the, the reporting system of no blame or, or no attribution when pilots report dangerous circumstances, how effective is that? So non-accident, so that would be, I, I guess that would be reported to the, to the regulator rather than us, uh, because we, we only get involved when the accident has actually occurred. 
So I don't know. I mean, maybe Frank. I don't know if Frank's on the line. Yeah. Frank might be able to. I was going to say that. Yes, that. Frank. Frank might be able to do that. But in in my experience, anyway, any report that you make either through IASA or the IEA is totally confidential, and should be a you know people should be applauded for making reports. That the old phrase there are lots of mistakes to be made in aviation. You learn most from your own mistakes. You really do. But there are far too many to make them all yourself. And we have to learn from other people's mistakes. And sadly, you know, when when metal is bent or people are hurt, that's when Kate and her colleagues get involved. But, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg, as you know. And, you know, that for every accident and every time somebody's hurt or metal is bent, you can be absolutely certain there are at least 10 incidents where people got away with it by the skin of their teeth. And as Douglas Bader said in the Second World War, he said, don't send me good pilots, send me lucky ones. You know, I'm lucky. I've had so many close shaves and we've all had close shaves. And, uh, you know, that's the way it is. And, and we, we, we owe it to ourselves and to everyone else to report those. And that's why we have made efforts on the Gasky website and the ASA and I to do confidential reporting. And I can, be, you know, I can assure you that any reports that are received by the system are just that. And hopefully will add to, you know, you know for example, if somebody, uh, you know, I, I may have had someone come along to me and say, look, I really had a real issue. And we'll, we'll do an I learned about flying from that story that's de-identified, for example. That's the sort of thing that can be part of it. Frank, have you got anything to add to that? Thanks, Jerry. Only to just say the, the, the regulations around this are tightened up about uh, 2014 that added in all the legal protections around this, you know, where sort of everybody did as, uh, uh, you know, being good uh, authorities, etc. But actually now we're obliged to do it. So it's, it's around things like protection of reporters, appropriate use of data, all of this sort of stuff. So we're actually legally prevented from, um, you know, um, creating any problems whatsoever for the person who reports uh, to us. And the whole ethos of the whole thing is about sharing information and sharing data and, and us at the authorities, etc., who get them from, from various sources can put it together and we can work with Gasky at, and um, to, to try to get the messages out there and learn the, 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 learn the lessons and share the lessons before it ends up with the Air Accident Investigation Unit. So it is very much um, very well protected in law now. So there's, there's no, no fear of reporting. And I guess um, we just hope that uh, people will take the opportunity to report and share. And, you know, if you don't still don't feel comfortable reporting to the authority, uh, you know, by all means, report to Gasky and, and uh, we can talk about them at the Gasky meeting as well on the same basis. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one last thing I would probably add to that is, you know, we're all human. And, you know, the, the, that fact that we're equipped with caveman brains and yet we've, we've evolved to become fairly uh, sophisticated human beings from when we were, we were, you know, living in caves and running away from hairy mammals. But parts of our brain haven't actually evolved as well. We've become taller, we live longer, uh, we, 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 you know, we're probably better looking, who knows. But our, some parts of our brains are programmed to run away and to tense up and to produce effects like hyperventilation and sweating and, and, and rash impulsive decision-making. So you know, that's an issue that we have to accept. Um, and as an, as an examiner, every time I fly with somebody, I try and put them at their ease and say, look, 
after 40 years, I can never, ever say that I've done a flight without a single mistake in it. So, you know, we have to accept that occasionally we make errors. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should be reporting every error that we make, but, but sometimes an error happens or a threat happens where, you know, we can see, as, as um, John Farley said, part of what he was talking about was seeing a, an approach and seeing what's going to happen ahead Equally, from a threat point of view, you can see a chain of events or the holes and the cheese line up and something awful could happen. And if you have that imagination, you can see, think, actually, you know what? I was very lucky there. And, and you know, people need to know about this. So that's great. Thanks for that, Kate. Very, very thought provoking and really good to, uh, to hear from you. And uh, as I say, one of the things I always say to people in the Gasky meetings is our job is to put you out of a job. But uh, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we keep failing. <laughs> 129 accidents out of 200 odd being general aviation, and I suspect we, you know, we 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 do actually out. Put it this way: we we give you more value for money than the other sections of aviation. I'm afraid, but uh, we we do our best to, uh, to 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 reduce it. Brilliant. Okay, folks, let's wrap it up here. And uh, thanks for everybody for your inputs. One last thing I wanted to mention was we, we, we work with the guys in the UK called Gasky, but or Gasco, but also we, we have a close link with the EASA GA safety promotion team. And they have a website called the Aviators Club, which is actually a Facebook site. And there's some good information on there. And say thank you very much indeed to everybody who's managed to turn up. Still up at 78 participants, which is fantastic. Uh, thank you very much indeed for coming along. Thank you to the AIU. Thank to Kate for your very interesting presentations. And I wish you all a very uh, safe and happy Christmas and uh, safe flying over the winter period. And we'll see you all in the springtime. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from Squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.